Hey, welcome to another podcast of Let's Build Church. My name's Rich Martin, and today I got to speak to a friend of mine, Mike Magembe, who is a world leader in artificial intelligence. I wanted to chat to him because ministry and artificial intelligence is something I've never really heard or talked about. And he has some brilliant insights into what to expect in the church, of what's coming our way in the world, and just unpacking what is often a scary situation or thought, um, and how we can go about it embracing it and seeing what the future unfolds for the local church. I enjoyed listening and speaking to him, so I really hope you enjoy the next few minutes of what he's got to say. So I'm here with um, a new friend of mine, Mike Bergembi. Hello. Hey, Mike. So good that you're with us. And uh, Mike um, is part of a church down in London and uh, has worked all over the world and is a world leader in his field as a data scientist. Thank you for and, the accolade. Uh, it's <laughs> definitely true. And uh, I would just love to find out a bit about your story, Mike, um, how you've arrived to where you're at, and then I'd love to tuck in and, and start talking about yeah. church and data. Okay, so just um, tell us a bit about how have you arrived to where you're at with data science? Uh, so it's uh, how long have you got? So <laughs> my my uh, journey actually starts all the way from childhood. Uh, I was influenced very much by, um, let's say, the, the the movies that we saw. So if I if I cast my mind back, I remember watching a movie called War Games, where uh, some child hacked into a, a database. Um, uh, I can't remember whether it was the U.S. database or the Russian. I, I genuinely can't remember that. But uh, um, and he used a computer, so that was a very exciting thing for me—just the power of, of of computers. And my dad had an Apple IIe in the house. At okay, the time. great. He was writing economic models using a program called Fortran. Uh, I was eight, so I started playing with that, and I made my first game when I was nine. Wow. I got um, really fascinated with uh, what computers could do. I remember showing off the game to. Um, sort of people in the, the the local area that we were we were living in. So this is uh, this is the eighties in Ethiopia, and some of them were branded me a witch at the time because oh. they were like <laughs> it was a game that could guess your age. Okay, and uh, um, I basically took a really simple uh, math thing from Reader's Digest and coded it into the machine, and then played around with that. And people were like. <laughs> How on earth were you able to do that? How does the machine do that? And I was like, you know, yeah. And then uh, so some people got very scared. But that was the beginning of the journey. Uh, from there, I think I pursued my love for both, for all things technology and electronic and uh, ended up doing a degree in electronic engineering. And uh, even there managed to build a, uh, um, a system for my, my thesis that I wanted to see if we could use technology to try and replay events that had happened in the past mm. not video but things that we didn't capture right so wow. take for example a car accident if we could then replay exactly what happened in the car accident so that you know we could get a better picture of the causes and so forth um that's ended up with the wreckage that we've seen so i built a device an optical measurement device that you could almost scan across a wreckage and then use mathematics um, you'd need information about the environment and so forth right. to then play back or retrodict, if you like, exactly what took place in the accident. Wow. Um, sort of minority report right, back right. in those days. And I remember my professor saying, well, this will never work because you'll need information about the weather and uh, the weight of the car and what the traffic was at the time. And this is 1998, uh, before big data. 
Okay. And uh, I wish I could go back to him and tell him, well, we've got all that information <laughs> yeah, now, <yeah>. so <laughs> so we should be able to do it. So um, so that's where it started. And then I uh, jumped into a career with a management consultant where we were using technology to help with business strategy, uh, effectively using um uh, I think I'll, I'll be repeating myself. I said that again, technology for business strategy. And then um, uh, fell into databases, computing, and rekindled my love for programming. And uh, eventually ended up at just giving, I'm giving you a full potted yeah, yeah, history like, here. Like. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, just giving, which are um, at that time the uh, largest online social donation platform in the world. What year was that? When did you join that? 2010. 2010 well, we were about 30 people when i left we were a hundred and something people and the business was raising more than 400 million a year for wow. for great courses wow. um and our algorithms that we built played a really big part in that to try and increase generosity so, so just talk us around a tiny bit of that before we jump into church stuff how did that how does that work when you say our algorithms increased generosity what do you mean sure by that? so just give you a bit of context. So Just Giving was a platform where people could raise money for causes that they cared about. So if you had a particular passion for, let's say, eradicating cancer as a disease, you just didn't want to see that anymore and you wanted to support support research institutions that were looking at getting rid of that, you may decide to fundraise for that, for that charity. And fundraising here in the UK typically means um, I might decide to do a cycling event or I might decide to host a dinner. I do some sort of activity tell all my friends about it and get them to contribute to this to this course, right, as a result. But that's that's typically how it happens. And I'll do this on this online platform called JustGiving.com. We built algorithms that could help optimize that page that you built so that it really maximized donations. So it could help you tell a better story, use the right images, um, which all of a sudden when you did all of those things, you saw an increase in donations. You saw donations increase. People were... Um, could create better affinity to them and the cause, the reason why you were doing it, but wow. affinity between the cause and yourself, uh, the reason why you're doing it, and all of those sort of things. So the algorithms played a really big part in automatically matching people with causes that they were passionate about. Wow. So you now are a consultant. You go and help companies all over the world. Yeah. You are active in your church. You're on the church board. Obviously, this is for church builders. I'm, we're speaking to church builders today. Why do you think inherently we're fearful as church builders of looking at data and handling data and using data to look at what God's doing? What do you think? There's what's that about? Why do you think there's a fear around it? I wouldn't. You know, it's a it's a really good question. I should that we should probably ask to get an empirical answer and so what i'll do is make an assumption okay um there there is data is very mechanical and it has less of what's a very human trait which is compassion in it Hmm. it's uh black and white it's very factual and it doesn't come with uh packaged with any sort of emotive element to it and i think industries that have a lot of compassion um and a lot of a lot of the human in them would struggle to look at data as something quite useful for them to start thinking about. Now, it doesn't mean it doesn't play a part and it won't add value. It absolutely will. I just think people in those industries really struggle to make the bridge and and make the gap. So I had the same challenge in the charity space, which is full of compassion, right? Which is full of people doing things passionately for a cause that really means something to them. Where does data add value to that sort of of mission? Um, and it is really interesting that it, it, it can. So even something along the lines of 
Um, you may not be able to have a very clearly expressed passion, but imagine if data was able to help you put a label to that. And suddenly you're like, no, this is exactly what I really feel. And then could find places where you can contribute. Wow. Right. Um, so it does play a role, but I think the church world wouldn't be too different from that in that because there's a lot of the, the, the human passion element that's there, data seems too mechanical and the natural reaction may be, this won't work for us. It's great because obviously I've spent some time with you today yeah. and we've talked off microphone about the fact that the data is there yeah. and the story that data can tell is all there to be had. Could you give us some church examples of where maybe we don't like to admit it, but the data is there and it's telling us a story if we're prepared to look at it? Okay, I'll, I'll give you some almost hypothetical, but at the same time real, so if you can find a way to deal with that. This isn't, this isn't to do with your <laughs> local church, is it? If anyone's at your local church listening to this, this is just hypothetical. Um, the, where the data is. So, you know... Okay, let's start really simple and then I'll come perhaps with something a bit more complex. So something really simple that even even, uh, retail stores could use. Um, Attendance numbers. You have three services, say, that you're running and you have 100 people come to each service. How do you know who was at service one and service two and you're not duplicating the numbers, right? Mm. Um, That information could be so easily captured, Right. So imagine we've got, you don't even have to imagine this is real. We've got cameras that can recognize exactly who you are. You see them at the airport, right? Right. Facial recognition. You can also get cameras that may not recognize who you are, but they know you are different to Jane or Peter, right? But you are you. So you are a unique individual. Those cameras could be placed anywhere and say, here are the total number of unique individuals that came at this service. And then for the next service, it could say, oh, hang on, there's some duplicates, right? right? So this person also came to the previous service. Suddenly your attendance numbers may look a little different, right? <laughs> they can't have the uh, pasta massage that we no, all do. They can't, right? So <laughs> that, that may be an uncomfortable result, but um, I think it would help in terms of understanding true growth. Are we really making a difference or are we just recycling the same, the same individuals, right? So that's, that's, that's one area. In fact, that's one area I think you could implement tomorrow um, because the cameras, the, morality are, around that? the cameras are on the market. It depends what you're doing with that information. I think anything in the data space, one of the things you have to absolutely ask is make sure you put a, or or at least pay attention to, is make sure you put a layer of ethics on top of it and ask yourself exactly that question. You know, is what we're doing correct? Um, Is what we're doing infringing on someone's um, uh, private life or areas that they would rather just keep to themselves or or not? I think we have to ask them. Are Are we manipulating them? Are we putting them in a position where we could cause further problems down the line. We have to ask all of those questions. Okay. So, um, yeah. What about a complex one that you're saying, a little bit more complex? A little bit more complex. Okay, let's say uh, you have a congregation coming this Sunday. What day is it today? It's uh, Thursday, Thursday, right? Yeah. Um, and you have a bunch of messages that you could potentially preach. Wouldn't you like to know um, if a machine could predict for you exactly who's coming on Sunday for the 10 o'clock service? And of those people, it could tell you that 65% of them are really struggling with something in their marriage on that particular day. Would you change your sermon as a result? Wow. You know, 
Um, so I think that's an opportunity. We want to remain relevant. Um, news articles do that. Uh, content publishers all over the world are looking to try and be relevant to each person at that particular time. Now, you can't satisfy everybody, but 65% of the people attending on the Sunday want to come out saying, that message spoke directly to me for something that I'm dealing with. Because it's uncomfortable listening to you because traditionally a pastor would sit in his office or yeah. her office and would ask God, what do you want me to speak? Right. And then would deliver what they felt God had put on their heart. Mm -hmm. What you're suggesting is there is data available, which which means you don't need to go to God? <laughs> that is not what I'm suggesting. Okay. But what I am saying is that the information is available. Ultimately, the decision on what you do is yours. And however you make decisions, I think you should continue to make them that way. But what this is doing is it's adding some more information that will contribute to that decision. So now you know that 60% on Sunday are coming with this issue. I would still pray. I would still use the same um, route that I use mm. to try and make that decision. Because you're still armed with information, you just have to make a choice. It's the same way if you had to buy a house and you had a choice of two houses. Mm. And you had the money for both. You have all the information you need, you still pray, mm. right? So I would never take that away. We must in, in, in this world, and particularly in the future, maintain the things that make us inherently human. Um, and, uh, um, you know, where we can remove the machine from us, let's remove the robot from the human. But where the things that make us inherently human, which means we still have the freedom of choice mm. with the information that's presented, as much as that freedom can exist, mm. then... Absolutely. Still pray. I would never take that away. We kind of we kind of already do do something like that. You know, before Christmas in, in the church I'm part of, we would always talk within the service about releasing people that they don't need to go into debt this Christmas because yeah. we know through data people are going to go into debt. It's yeah. just traditional data that we're told and we know it's, it's a very big statement. But what's interesting about talking to you is that you driving down into the minutiae of data mm. that can then tell us a story. What would you say to a pastor who's 100, 150 in his congregation? What would you tell him tools he should jump on straight away to help tell people in his community about church, to use data to for the great for the for for the great commission the making disciples what what would you say look there's just some basic stuff out there if you're not doing this you you're falling behind with the times god can do his thing but he's going to use all the stuff in the world to help us do his thing exactly so um i, I would say that i would say let's do the, the basics so firstly collect data right are you you know collect collect metrics around uh, the people who attend, which I think most most churches do already. Um, but the, the whole idea of algorithms and AI can't work without data. Machines need data in order to learn, right? And that's that's what feeds machine learning. They can learn themselves, of course, if you want if you want to get into detail. But ultimately, they are building data sets and learning from data sets in order to learn. So we, the very first thing that I would suggest to do is collect as much information as possible, even the information that may seem irrelevant. So, for example, what was the weather two days before? The service and what was the weather on the day on the service keep that keep records of that keep records of the message that you gave the context of the message the sentiment of that message the number of people who then came the next week as a result of that so listeners of my message did they come again the next week um marry that up with 
weather conditions and you might see a pattern, right? You might see mm. that if it's raining and I give this sort of message on a Sunday, I increase the likelihood or propensity of someone then coming back the next Sunday or bringing a friend, you know? Um, and so it's basically just collect as much as you can. The machines will be able to learn from the data that you collect. But if you haven't got that data, you can't even apply machine learning, right? Mm. So, and you talked about growing within your community. Let's collect the data about the community, right? Um, what have we got? How, uh, what, what demographic splits have we got in the community? What are they reading? What are they consuming? Um, all of those are signals about what they're interested in, what they're passionate about, what they worry about, what keeps them up at night, hmm. what makes them think about tomorrow, and what will influence their decision as to whether they need to be around a community of people to find out more or to help them or just to be part of it. Hmm. And where do you put that data? Where do you put it? Literally, where do you put it? Yeah, so say we've, say, you know, a church records that into a spreadsheet, mm. then, you know, without a human looking at it and having to work it all out, it was sunny three weeks ago and these are the numbers and now it's raining. And now, mm. when you say a machine can work with that, where does a traditional local pastor, where can it, where can he go, she go to get that data telling a story? So if, if I've understood your question, you're saying, okay, great, there's, there's one part which is collect, which is what I was talking about. Um, and the next part is how do you then do something with it to generate yeah. value from it? That's a question that I don't know if I have the full answer for just now. But I do, and I am becoming increasingly aware of people with the skill set because there it's a different skill set. The collection of data is one. The manipulation of it or working with data to be able to generate true value from it is a different set. That skill set is an abundant on the street, right? But it does exist. And I'm becoming increasingly aware, particularly in the States, of uh, people with that skill set who really are looking to do mission-related work. Um, so to live life on mission, if you like. So. But the collection of it would be great because, let's say, in five years' time, when there's more and more people around who know what to do with data and know how to make it tell a story, yeah. they're going to be able to grab hold of the data that you're currently collecting and say hey, like, this is your community. Yes. You, you will, uh, without collecting it, you won't have the opportunity really to be able to do stuff with it later on. So focus should be on collecting it right now, actually. Brilliant. What about Facebook advertising, Google advertising? Do you know much about that space or entering into that world? I know a little. Um, and what some of those platforms allow you to do is to help you micro-niche on your demographic so you can really filter down on... Uh, uh, gender, on age, on location, on profession, you know, LinkedIn will, will allow you to do all of those things. So you can say, I, I, I'm looking for, um, let's say you, you seem to have high propensity of bankers in your, in your church, then you could say, look, I'm looking for bankers who work in London. Um, and it'll pull out all of those individuals and then you can speak to them directly. Uh, what those platforms are really great for is uh, they have those individuals they can put things in front of those individuals. What you have to do is work out your messaging um, to mm. those particular individuals. And I, I really like them. If, if a church was to treat itself as a business, they would be really useful places to, to, to run ads or help with your acquisitions efforts. Love that acquisitions efforts. I can see now people listening just thinking you do not call people acquisitions. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why I love talking to you, Mike. Um, what, you know, with your, we've talked today. Uh, you've talked a little bit about how you you think, and many others in the industry have 
AI, artificial intelligence, believe that we're on the cusp of a huge industrial revolution-like yeah. turn of the world. Yeah. Could you describe a little bit of that journey? And then could you describe, if that is the case, are you able to give us any insight into what you believe the churches will be full of or where people will be at? Because at the moment we... You know, we're in 2019, it's traditional. People turn up, sit down, and, you know, they run their lives. We're all becoming increasingly aware that people are a lot busier, mm. that when we're preaching or speaking, lots of people are on their phones, they're no longer pen and paper people, and we don't know if they're listening to us or if they're yeah. catching yeah. up on the sports. Yeah. Mostly the sports, I think, when I'm communicating. Right. But um, can you just talk to us a bit about this turn that you think's coming, and then what's that? where's that going to position people when they come into church? What problems are they going to be facing? Mm. And what the types, what the scenarios we're going to be facing? Well, let's, uh, okay, so let's uh, talk about that journey and how we're on the cusp of some sort of change. The example that I use is um, uh, one we've shared earlier, mm. where if you were to bring someone from 300 years ago to today, they would see a dramatic difference to life, right? 300 years ago, no cars, no airplanes, no TVs, no recording, no internet. Imagine showing <laughs> someone from 300 years ago the internet. Communication with someone across the other side of the, the world, right? Um, they may not have even known the world was round. So it's a drastic change. To get, if that same person from 300 years ago, so that would be 1719, um, if they were to go to 1419 to try and play the same trick on that person, bring them to 1719 it wouldn't be a very big difference mm, right they wow. would sit there and say oh, yeah. there's no no real change so they would have to go all the way back you know depending on how you view timelines but to bc time to be able to get someone who will have the same sort of dramatic aha moment and right. say wow you know um, they have to go back even further. So that time scale is shrinking significantly so much so that even now if you go back 30 years ago the most wealthiest companies that pretty much drive, you know, huge percentage of customer interactions didn't even exist, mm. right? Google, Amazon, Facebook, trillion dollars worth of organizations that were not even there 30 years ago. Functionality that just didn't exist. Mm. Um, uh, mobile phones weren't, weren't there then, you know, to be able to, it was just a dream. I remember a program called Space 1999 where you could talk to someone on the screen and they'll respond back to you. That was in the 1980s, right? Wow. Whereas now we do that on a regular basis. Everyone does that. Yeah. You know, FaceTime is yeah. nothing new and nothing extraordinary. But bringing someone from 1985, we've lived through this, so it seems less dramatic. But someone who fell asleep in 1985 and woke up right now, the world would look shockingly different. <laughs> Right. Donald Trump Donald would Trump be the first thing. <laughs> wow. Arnold Schwarzenegger was governor. Yeah, you know, amazing. Would, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it would look drastically different. So the time to change is shrinking, which is why when I say we're on the cusp of something big, that if, if it only took two decades for us to see a completely new world, think about how long it'll take for us to see something drastically different when our children go through. So AI is going to play a big role in that. Now, the impact, what should the church prepare for? The one thing that some people are fearful of is artificial intelligence is going to take my job. Okay. They are absolutely right, right? Now, it doesn't mean jobs will disappear on the whole. Right. A lot of jobs will go, but a lot of new jobs will be created, right? So there'll be net gain. Mm. Um, just think about when the internet came. 
when the internet came, a lot of jobs just disappeared and a whole host of new jobs that we couldn't have talked about appeared. So we have the same challenge with AI. We're going to get a whole bunch of jobs that we don't even have the name or title for right now. We don't know what they are. So there'll be net gain, but there'll be a lot of people who'll be out of work, right? Um, so that's one of the things and challenges I think we do have to prepare for. Equally, artificial intelligence causes beyond, beyond just the basic fears of it's going to take my job, but what is it going to do to my livelihood? Right. I think one of the things we do need to pay attention to is that it's not just going to suddenly appear. It's here already. We've got it on our phones. My, my phone can tell me where my car is parked and I didn't have to type, my car is parked here anywhere. Mm. It just knows. When I get into my car, depending on what time it is, it'll say the distance to your destination and it will only already have a pretty good idea of where I'm going without me typing it into it. Mm. Just because it's evening and it's so forth, you know, the machine's saying, this Mike mostly goes home at around this time. Mm. So automatically it says, this is how much time it'll take for you. You know, I didn't even have to think about it. So mm. there's a lot about our life that's going to change. The thing that I think we do need to prepare and almost arm ourselves for is how do we best navigate this, this new world? And I think it's understanding that man and machine can work very well together. Machine on its own, no. Man on its own, in an information age, it's a bit different, right? Yeah. We can still create, we still work, but machines are being able to do some really amazing things. But the combination is really good. And in fact, I, I sat down with Gary Kasparov um, for dinner and he shared an experiment that they did where they had machine on its own uh, and man on its own and man versus machine and oh, sorry, man and machine and man and machine won in the varying tasks that they had. So the combination was better. So now that can sound a little scary, right? Think about it this way. You're taking to, your kids to school in the morning and you need to make sure you take the best route if you have to drive to school. Mm. And, and we do, for example, man and machine allows me to see seven miles down the road and know whether there's an accident and whether I should use a different route. Man on his own wouldn't know that. Mm. We can't see that far. That's just not the way it works, right? But together, we could make the best decisions about how I make sure I get my skill, my kids to school on time. Do you understand where I'm coming from? Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, that's how I think we could think about the future. And so, just to tack on to that that point, that, and just if there's anything else that you'd, you'd want to share with it, which is how do we best prepare for it? We're known as a church who does. Uh, worldwide we're slow adopters mm. we you know I, I don't particularly think the church is called to be the ones who discover all the latest things i think the people working in the marketplace will do that who are part of the church i think we serve you know what the world we we serve people we're not we don't need to be market leaders as yeah. the church and discovering new ai technology yeah. particularly but you know we we weren't particularly fast adopters of the internet generically you know there's still churches out there who wouldn't have a website yeah um, or wouldn't adopt things. I think we've become a lot more comfortable with understanding that actually the good, which you described there, the good of machine, the good of using it. Mm. Where do pe where can people go? Where can people tool themselves up, not to scare themselves, but to be able to say, "Hey, like I think we can do some clever things. I think we can." Where where would you point people to? Because you're obviously a specialist. You're like a surgeon. But where could they just go for basic levels of understanding of, okay, this is this is stuff that's happening. I don't need to be afraid of it. I can embrace it in my congregation. I can understand that this is what's going on. Yeah. Um, 
I think you've, you've touched upon something really important. People within MySpace, we almost speak a different language when we start talking about it. Same, same in MySpace, okay. Mike, as well. So. <laughs> uh, um, but also, it doesn't do much for the fear. It doesn't do much for preparation, and you're mm. still left none the wiser. So we do have a responsibility to try and address that. And uh, interestingly, off the back of that, I've created a couple of training courses where my aim is to demystify the world of artificial intelligence Great. and move it from being this complex, scary thing to being this accessible um, uh, social thing that might actually help with uh, some of the things that I've got to deal with in my life. You know, um, That actually, I like to put it, can just take the mundane, repeatable, boring out of my life and keep me being a compassionate, loving human and very effective human being great so and so how do they access something like that my training course yeah um hopefully you can google it okay. uh, and we'll see where where it ranks uh until it's, it's only been launched a few days ago and uh the first one is going to be on the 11th of october uh however if you google michaelgembe.com you will find information about the training course oh, it's so good mike and uh i really appreciate you fact talking it for me i know that I'm not comfortable in this space. Like I personally, currently I'm not on Instagram. I find it uncomfortable and I find, I find the fact that companies might know a lot about me uncomfortable. Um, when we talked it out today, you kind of dispelled the myth. Could you, oh, just, could you just quickly talk to me about the fact, talk to everyone really about the fact that well, without me being on Instagram, they still know everything about me. And it's going to be really difficult for me to ever run away from that in the in the yeah. new world we live in. What yeah. does that? How does that work? See, we as human beings are actually quite habitual creatures, right? So we 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 have habits and patterns in the way that we do certain things, um, and as a result of that, we also leave a lot of breadcrumbs, stroke clues in our behavior, a lot of the things that we do, and pretty much everything that we interact with has some sort of electronic device mm. on it that, that that will capture that information. When we interact with people over a phone, that's a phone call. That's a log of a connection between two individuals for a certain duration of time, which probably gives you a fairly good indication that there was a conversation that took place, right? So there's so much by way of electronics around us that it'll be very difficult to, to hide. Even mm. if you decide to hide, you'd in order for it to be effective, everyone around you also has to decide to hide. We've got CCTV cameras. We've got the moment your, your credit card makes a transaction somewhere physically, we then have a good indication of where you might have been, right, um, at, at certain sales points or, or any of those sort of things. Uh, we use them when we on the transport links in London now. Yeah. So we use it when we go into the tube. Yeah. So even the world that we're in almost enables more tracking and more capturing of that data. Whereas if, 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 let's say, all Oyster cards and that sort of tap functionality disappeared and we had to use paper tickets, it might be a bit easier, right? right. But everything's electronic right now. Even when you go to the airport, the check-in desk people are disappearing. Right, you know, right. Because you do it all via, you do it all electronically. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you're going through uh, Visa or Customs, um, uh, uh, it wouldn't be customs. What do they call that? Immigration. Immigration. Um, uh, you go through a machine that looks at your face to make sure you are you, right? Right. <laughs> so 
I think it's going to be really hard to completely get, get off the grid. You'd need a, a lot of work to do that, number one. Number two, those breadcrumbs that I mentioned um, can be put into some sort of mathematical equation. That means there's a lot about us that can be predicted. So you don't have to have physically said something or done something because of patterns of, of us and people like us and people around us. There's a lot that you can sort of extrapolate and... Um, potentially predict or try and understand by just using data and a mathematical equation. And I think what I've enjoyed about being grounded today is um, the nervousness of myself as a pastor talking to you about prediction is that every single day my world is consumed with kind of um people understanding who god is mm. and the divineness of who he is and the you know he's so individual and personal to people the the uncomfortableness of chatting to you is it sometimes feels like i'm taking an aspect of what who god is in christianity and what he does mm. and replacing that and there's no need for certain aspects of god even your example earlier, you know, we could probably predict people are going to, you could predict people are going to turn up to church and they're going to be slightly down because it's raining, which always is in the north, by the way. So it's, <laughs> but it's, it's raining. Um, it's, you know, the breadcrumbs of their life are going to predict that this is what's going to go on. I feel like then to craft a message or to shape a service or an experience around helping that is somehow disingenuine. Mm in how I read the scriptures currently, how I interpret the book of Acts and the growing of the church there. There was just so much natural, authentic, mm. non-predictive from people. And that the reason I've been, I'm enjoying chatting to you and have enjoyed today is because you've challenged the thinking without saying we need to play God, but essentially all the data is there. How do you cope with that? dilemma being a christian on the board of a church and holding you know you've given us a tiny percentage of all the stuff you know in fact you probably know everything about me mike you probably know <laughs> no. you probably know when i last had sex <laughs> is what i'm nervous about <laughs> I, i'm sure there's an algorithm that could all right that probably could work is, that out. yeah <laughs> <laughs> um it, it i think it's a it's a really interesting question but oh i've never ever separated the two um one of the things you we talked about earlier today is your your your, your calling what has god put you on earth to do and um ai and that world i feel is mine because it's been there from when i was young but it was gifted to me by by the lord so i would never separate the two the second thing is it it allows us to do every piece of technology only gets us to be able to do things better than we were doing previously. Mm. And it doesn't mean that we're leaving the kingdom because we can do more human things, do more things that we could do before. Mm. After all, he made us in his image, right? So there's a lot, I, you know, you could even say we're not even touching the surface of what we could possibly do. Jesus says we will do things even greater than he did, right? Mm. So, um, and I don't think we're, I've never seen it as I'm replacing or removing God from the equation. I'm almost living out what he is, I've read in scripture that I'll okay. be able to do. Um, and equally, I feel a moral responsibility, and you would too, when you know certain information, if I put it to you that way, right? Yeah, it's a good um, And AI is, is pretty much the same thing. So, Let's take an example of um, a, a child called Charlie who's coming into school 
this Monday, next Monday. And because of AI, I know that he's going to throw a chair at the teacher. If Charlie throws the chair at the teacher, he gets excluded from school. If he gets excluded from school, he ends up in a, in a uh, percentage of people that are very likely to end up in the prison system when they grow up. Mm. Charlie's seven. He has the chance to avoid this because you know he's going to throw a chair, right? Mm. You know there's a big likelihood that he's going to throw a chair. Mm. Do we sit around and do nothing? Or do we try and intervene, reduce his chances of being expelled and excluded from school, and reduce the chances of eventually him becoming a, a criminal and joining the system? I think we have a moral obligation to intervene. Every child deserves the full education, mm. you know. Um, and Charlie throws the chair because he's having problems at home. Mum and dad are not getting along. And there's a whole host of things taking place that cause him to react that way. Um, I use this example because there's actually a school that I'm, I'm, I'm potentially working with that um, where this could actually come to life. Wow. And this school only deals with children that have been excluded. And it deals with them primarily because they are so likely to end up in the prison system. You know, so... I think we have a moral obligation to use the information that we have to hand to do the right thing. Mm. Um, uh, it's absolutely, so I feel very comfortable with that and I don't think we're replacing anything. I think God's just made it plain and clear for, for us yeah, sometimes, yeah. right? The, the last thing is I would say that, remember when I talk about what machines are able to predict, it's a probability. Okay. It's not an exact science, right? So it may say that 70% likelihood that people will be coming into your service wanting to hear a message like this. It could also be wrong, right? Because it's only 70% likely. It's not 100% and it never will be, right? So you will never be in a position that you have to not consult God because machines learn from data. And what God has given us is the ability to know, to take in so much more data than the machine can. You can teach a machine how to see, how to hear, how to smell, how to taste right now. You can actually wow. have some signals in that. But you know, sometimes when, let's say you're watching a movie and you know who the bad guy is and you had no idea how you know who the bad guy is, but right. you just got that Holy Spirit nudge. Yeah. How do you teach the machine that? The machine can only do what we can teach it right now. Right. But how do you do it? Which is why some machines get things so wrong. There's a, um, an algorithm in the States that really has some problems because it's, um, in fact, I'll use another one because it's a bit too controversial. Um, uh, go on, uh, give no, us the controversial no. one, Mike. <laughs> okay, well, let's go through it. Um, let's say an algorithm that decides who is likely to be a criminal, right? Just by looking at them on the street. Now, because America's prison population is made up of largely black individuals, the moment it sees a black individual, my percentage will go through the roof right. Right, as likely to be a criminal because that's the data that was used to train the machine. Okay. That is how simple the machines are sometimes. So it, if you don't give it all the data, which means contextual data, domain data, and so forth, that's the, the answer it's going to make. So if we as humans just have to make it as well, the machine says this, so I've got to put you away just in case, right? Um, we have some serious problems, right? you know? And so this is where you can't, at this stage anyway, replace that human trait that we can't explain. Mm. We talked about us having five senses. That's what we were taught at school. Mm. They've since then found lots of other senses that we have, okay? And I'll give you an example of one. If you close your eyes yep. and try and touch your nose, you don't miss, right? But which sense did you use to understand exactly 
the geolocation of your phone. So good. Right? Um, and that's another, I can't remember the technical term for that sense, okay. but that's another one that they've discovered, right? So there's a whole bunch of sensors that are outside the scope of the five senses that we have. How do you teach a machine all of those? That Holy Spirit nudge that tells you, mm. this is not right. It just doesn't feel right, mm. you know? You have no evidence to explain why, mm. but it just doesn't feel right. So when the machine says 70% likely, your just doesn't feel right sits in the 30%, right? And then the machine comes wrong. You know, three out of 10 times it was wrong. And those three times you were right. So <laughs> It's brilliant. I'm, um, uh, the, the kind of conclusive thought that, uh, that I've come from to the end of today would be that I don't need to be afraid of AI. I don't need to be fearful that Siri is listening into all my conversations and that someone in the Pentagon is also listening and someone in GCHQ is. Those things are, are fearful and and so on mm. that I could probably go on a little journey to embrace that AI is all around us and is happening whether we like it or not and our people coming to church are being served up all sorts week in and week out minute by minute based on the data that's already there and so as a pastor I can start to entertain the thought that maybe we could use some of that data to help people well yeah. and use data to help tell people about the churches we're in, use data to help decide when we're going to run certain events in the year, use data to decide when is the best time to do stuff like baptisms or whatever it might yeah. be. Yeah. I think also the other side that you've you just touched on which i suppose i'd like to put some like church words to would be that the role of a church in a community is going to get exponentially more crucial because yeah. it has the touch point of physicality mm -hmm. in terms of you can lay on of hands of people you can pray with people you can look at them in the eye your spirit can connect with their spirit you can pray with people because I'm guessing that you don't see a future where a robot will pray with someone in a church. and no, that I don't. Okay, <laughs> just double-checking before I burn you at the stake, Mike. <laughs> I, I, I definitely don't see but, that. So, that so, so there is this, you know, if we're going to go through this amazing industrial revolution of AI, for me, as I perceive it with my futuristic church goggles on, would be, wow, there is now an even bigger need for the church to do what the church was called to do at the most basic which is to gather people together do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing let's keep gathering yeah. let's keep that percentage of holy spirit there's just something different the prophetic edge that we bring the fourth dimensional way of living your life of yeah. which a robot's never going to have the holy spirit fourth dimensional way of living and that that will start to rise to the surface more and more in society of where people are clamoring not for what will my week look like but clamoring for i need to be around people who understand yes. something that these ai robotic systems that i'm surrounded by have never done and never will do and so yeah. my hope will be that the church this will bring the church to the forefront and it'll be the usp which is we meet people's needs in ways that ai could never i think that's a great great way to end and actually something i totally agree with actually because uh, when we talked about the difference between you know repeatable actions that are automated and so forth and compassion yeah that 
the robot can't fill that space. And that'll only increase the people with that need, that desire. It'll have to increase because increasingly so much more of our lives are being automated. It's amazing. So, so the church has a great opportunity, actually. Yeah. yeah. We're, on the, we're on the cusp of something incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. How can people lean into your world more? I'm aware they've, you've, you've written a book and mm-hmm. you've got a website. How could they go about getting hold of that book? Is it of any use to people in this sphere of church building? Yeah. And the, 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 the book I, I wrote very deliberately to be non-technical. Um, I'm quite passionate about getting people to understand this space. Uh, see if we can remove some of the fear. So um, if you're in an organization and you want to understand how data will help you or your or your company, then yes, the, the book's available on Amazon. It's called uh, Cracking the Data Code. You'll forgive me for the title. It's, uh, I'm not a marketer. I could come up with something better. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> um, and uh, if you want to find out about my training courses, again, that's on mikebugembe.com. Click on training there and you can find out some more about that there. Brilliant. What am I going to do next, Mike, if you're that good at AI? If I, <laughs> you haven't let me write the album. Oh, there we go. Good question. Thank you so much, Mike. It's Thank been you. brilliant. Cheers, you. Thank you. So there we have it. Artificial intelligence and ministry. We're all about to be baptizing robots. We're going to be marrying someone who marries a robot. And we're going to be pastoring someone who's just had sex with a robot. Maybe not, but artificial intelligence is coming our way. And what great insights. Hey, hope you enjoyed it. And we'll see you soon.